Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Warrior Within. Sorry for the late podcast, but yesterday my sinuses were just wrecking me, and I just could not focus and think, and even today my voice is a little little off, but I just could not focus. But I'm here today, and you know I'm excited about talking about today. We're actually going to be talking about um, individualism, but with the understanding that we as the body are supposed to be in unity and that means the church um but uh, for updated news for the church update uh so far we've been able to get the grant we are able to deposit it but now we have to wait about seven days before we can gain access to it and then the next stage would be to have start church <clears throat> work with me and how to <clears throat> work with me how to uh structure my uh salary correctly so that way i don't get taxed twice um because one of the things about starting a church is that you get taxed as a member of the church, but you also get taxed because you're a contract to the church. <coughs> Excuse me. So, that being said, you know, pray that things just kind of flow together, work through, and then the next stage would be for us to actually start looking to moving out to Montrose. Um, it's kind of a really exciting time, but still have to be a little bit more patient as the pieces kind of come together. Anyway, let's let's move on. Um, one of the things like I, like I'm going to entitle this "Army of One" because you know, when you're brought up in in your if you're brought up in the military uh, concept, so like you you understood World War Two, World War One, you know, it, like it was a big deal in the city or town that you lived in where military were treated with you know utmost respect, you know, and I have a huge respect for people that were in the military. Um, I mean, I used to run around in the forest or hang out with my best friend at the time. Uh, we used to play army and we would act like we were U.S. soldiers fighting against the Nazi Germans and like that we were the two heroes and all that, all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, getting my greens and, and getting my fake gun and we would like run around using dirt clods like grenades and throwing it because the dirt, dirt clod, when it's done right, you know, explodes. It looks like, you know, a grenade explosion. And I loved it. I mean, I had patches on it, and I get like I even had like an old World War II helmet that I used to wear too. And it was just a really neat time of my time. I it was a really good memory running around doing that. But the one thing is the the motto, of, especially for the army, is "Army of One." And when we use that phrasing, uh, the "Army of One" concept came. Because the idea was, even though you're in a unit of, you know, 10 people or a unit of five, or you're in a platoon of 278 people, or you're in your regiment, whatever it may be, you were still an army of one. They, they wanted to design their soldiers so that they can think individually, but still understood the importance of unity. So there was this form of pride that was put into you for the group that you were a part of but at the same time if things got spicy and things got difficult or like what would happen in world war ii you know you go into a fight and suddenly you are as a sergeant the only last living officer of your unit and now you're the commanding officer or even if it was just a couple, you know, a few privates left and, and 
you're our private too. Whoever whoever would be willing to take over would take over to lead the, the rest of the group either back home to safety or continue the mission. And it's always and it's not just in the army that you get this this type of teaching and it's very much ingrained in our military style of fighting. Now a lot of people are you know, it'd be like, well that's kind of weird having someone who, you know, become an army of one. Well the idea was that in if you were to go back in time, so if we were to go back all the way to the Revolutionary War time or even the French and Indian War time, the the style of warfare back then was you had your you know, the army of men and then you had the guy who was over them. And so they would have what I call our polite wars. So they would march up uh, onto a, make a line, form a line, either two or two or one line. And then they would ha stand there and then the officer would call out for them to pull out their rifles or muskets at the time. And they would point their muskets out or they at least get them out and they had to make sure they were loaded. They would have them hold up the gun pointing at when they wanted to, and then they wouldn't be able to fire until the officer said to fire. Well, this mentality was such a, it was considered kind of like polite fighting that during the uh, French Indian War a little bit, and then also the, and the American Revolution, one of the things that was causing issue to the British was that they were following this polite war, but some of the Americans and some of the Indians and French in the French and Indian War were not following the polite war. They would call what's kind of like guerrilla warfare. So they would hide in the trees and a group of you know soldiers come by and they just pop up and start firing. You see, that mentality is something that the United States took for their army, realizing that tactics, as good as it may be to be polite, you still had to use tactics as a skill plan to win wars and battles. You couldn't always follow the same mentality as your opponent because it didn't always work. So, I mean, if you guys ever watched, um, what was that movie called? Uh, with Mel Gibson and uh, the guy that died who played Joker. Uh, so about the American Revolution, but the one thing, I can't believe I can't remember the name. But uh, one of the things that I, I thought was funny in that movie was the fact that when the British actually sent to tell the Americans, please stop shooting our officers. We don't want to have units running around not knowing what to do. See, that concept was a norm for European warfare. And a lot of times what would happen is that there was no officer to tell them what to do. They didn't know what to do well america took the style of we're going to train you so that if something happens you need to make a decision in that moment to lead or take take control because one the officer in control is out of, is not around in the situation that's why we give people orders and then we have the commanding officer of that group lead them but if something were to happen to him, there's always someone else who knows what's going on because all of them know what's going on. So the unit itself will keep doing its job. Or two, something like like I said, the officer dies, and then who's the next person in line should take over and lead. And we hear about like story after story after story in the American Revolution. We can go even to 
World War One, World War Two is one of the next major uh, storylines, but also the Civil War. I mean, it happened in there too, because we've created this army to make sure that no matter what, you're still an army of one, where you're in unity with your brothers, and at the time's brothers, but at the same time, you yourself understood what it meant to fight for what you were fighting for, which I thought is very interesting. Every military person these time frames understood their purpose they understood the vision behind being part of the military team that they were a part of they understood what they meant to love each other as brothers and be there for each other's brothers and then number four they understood basically that even though they were part of this group they still had an individual part to build for this group and I thought that was fascinating because if you were to look at it, that's what the church body is supposed to be like. Because one of those this joke I remember being told and kind of taught about World War II was that there was this bunker that the Nazi Germans had. And you, the, if you were in the British, you would have to ask permission from the next person above you and then that person would have to ask permission from the person above him that person would have to ask the person above them to go all the way back down to where the situation was going on to be able to th throw a grenade or shoot a bazooka at that bunker where as an american you you have you have this problem you see your your brothers getting killed and you need to get rid of that bunker two guys would go by themselves crawl over, get as close as they can, tie up a bunch of grenades together, pull the pins off of all of them and throw it in there and blow it out or throw a C4 in it. Or they would go in there in themselves and try to take out the guys because they understood that there was a point where they needed to respect the rules, which they knew that they had to get rid of that. So even though the, the lieutenant or captain who was over could call and say, hey, this, this bunker is causing a problem, um, can I blow it up? He instead he knew that he his the whole the whole plan the big picture of the plan was they needed to get their unit through to get that position. So instead of asking permission to blow everything up, they knew the big picture. Where a lot of times it seemed like the the mindset of having certain people have certain control over the unit caused a misconception of understanding what the purpose was because there's too many people <clears throat> with their hands trying to tell people what to do in every little moment when you should have been you should have told them hey i need that point do what you need to do but I, I ask you if you can don't kill everybody try to you know capture them if you can then you know the mindset would be different but if it's like hey you need to get your men on top of that hill to do the best you can do what you need to do then that's where that individual unity comes into play so now you have those two guys going over there to take out that bunker and they they are able to save the men or the other situation they would have to wait and how much more people would have to die because the it wasn't a unity of understanding of the purpose so i remember that and it's always stuck with me um the culture that we live in is teaching us to be individual the, the phrasing is individualism 
and it, it's a really big deal you know it may not sound like it's too bad because like the american way concept today um like one of my favorite shows um last man standing <clears throat> you know mike mike was known as the guy who went to work came home got out of his truck and ran inside the house and i know i've probably told this story before but that's kind of the american way these days is my concern is my home and I go in my home, I don't talk to anybody or deal with anybody. Well, that creates the individual mindset because now you're more concerned about your home and less concerned about helping others. So it's very fascinating to me that individualism in itself has become an idol for the American way. It's become an idol for men too. You know, we use it as an excuse to be kind of more introverted and less reaching out to other men. Well, you know, I got to take care of my own family. Like, yes, you do. But don't you want to see other men also grow to understand what it means to take care of their family too? Don't you want to see other men, other brothers in Christ walking in, in line with the Lord? I mean, don't you want to see that? Because individualism keeps us from communicating and dealing with each other that's why i think that mindset is a lot older than just current times i think it's been around for quite a bit because the one of the things that we struggle as men is opening up about our feelings and opening up um our issues that we go through because we think we need to carry the whole war and battle on our shoulders because it's a manly thing to do. But the truth is, God didn't, you know, Jesus didn't pick one disciple and disciple him and said, now go make a difference. No, he picked 12. And the uniqueness about each 12 was they all had different responsibilities, different personalities, and different purposes. And that should make you think about before we go to the next next half. Let's take a quick break and I'll be right back. Hey guys and welcome back and um, we've been talking about, you know, we mentioned that Jesus didn't just pick one disciple, he picked 12. And there was a purpose behind that. He wanted to create the image of what it looked like to have unity within his disciples, with his teachings. But individualism was very vital for each of the disciples. It had their purposes. And it's very interesting because if we were to go into Ephesians 4, it, you know, even the title says the unity in the, in, the, in the body of Christ. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a matter worthy of calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Grace is given to each of us according to the measure of God's of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on the high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? You know, he came down as a man. 
He who descended is the one who also ascended from a, from a, ah, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And that means what Christ did, the gospel message. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head of Christ, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the idea is that, guys, we are supposed to be an army of one. We should know individually how to lead our family. We should know individually how to be a man of God. We, and individually, we should be a warrior of God. Individually, we should be able to lead others. You know, if there's suddenly no pastor in your church, are you willing to, sp to step up and start teaching truth, even if you're not comfortable, even if you don't understand it 100%, but you're willing to do it because you know it's needed in your church? If there's a bunch of men who would like to meet together and love to get a study together, but not, they're, they're not confident enough, but you know enough and you may be confident enough to be able to lead them, then lead them. Because it may not be you need to stay in that form of leadership forever, or maybe it's God's calling on you to do so, and this is your moment to grow. Because a lot of times, you know, we think as men, like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, we're not good enough. But a lot of times there is people that think they're good enough, but when it comes to spiritual stuff, a lot of guys say they're not good enough for it. They, they think they need to be some type of high priest or or master of the church or master of the Christian Christianese and the Christianity and understanding. But the truth is Jesus did not pick the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the, the, the best, the best of, of Israel. He picked 12 men who were either fishermen hated or men who didn't have that type of confidence as leader of men. Because they never made it past the point where they got trained more into the spiritual way of thinking and living. I want you guys to really think about that. You know, Peter, who became like an icon for the leadership for the disciples later on. You know, he was a fisherman. There was nothing about him that made him outstanding above every man in the in the country. No, this is... God knew his heart. He knew the desire of how much he wanted to be more. And so he trained him and his individualism as his part, his gifts, his individualism of the body, but also taught him to work with the other men. You know, we're supposed to be in likeness in mind. We're supposed to be eager in maintaining the, maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We should be working towards working other, with other men in our church and our 
in our area, in our town, whatever it may be, that have this interest in loving God, serving God, trusting in God, doing what God has asked of them, and getting those guys together, working together. It's so nice when you see groups that are established, like Warrior at Heart, um, like the idea behind it is to build men around the Bible and the truth and around Christ and what he's done and build these men to be men, men of God, men who love the Lord, men who are not afraid to stand up for what that means. But the other part of that is discipling these men so they understand their gifts, their purpose. Every guy has a purpose in the church. It's not just to sit there and listen to somebody preach and go home. You all have a purpose wherever it may be in your church, in your town, in your area. Ask God about it. Don't be afraid. Seek out a church that's wanting to disciple men to be men. Seek out a man who's wanting to do that and, and try to get behind that with him. You know, some of you guys are looking for that connection with men. Well, it takes you got you as well to come out to find that connection because people like me who can talk to you and share things and, and relate to you and, and want to spend time with you talking. It takes, it doesn't, and me just speaking is not enough. You have to respond just, just as much and don't be afraid to do it. Cause if we don't talk to each other, we can't help each other where we're at. And you're going to find out that a lot of men struggle with a lot of different things that are very similar to the struggles you struggle with. It's not an uncommon battle scenario. That's why when I, in the beginning when I was talking about it, it's kind of like having that Roman wall up. And the thing is, for a long time, we think we're the only ones standing there with our shield in the, in the fog of war. But in reality, when God kind of blows the dust a little bit, you suddenly realize other men walking by you with the, having the same issues, having the struggling the same way and, and wanting to be more. And you guys unite together in one wall and you walk together and you march through that battlefield together and you push away the evil. Because when you are an individual alone, you could be attacked from your left, your right, and your back. When you're with brothers, your sides are definitely protected and you always have someone who's watching your guys' back. But that's also God too. And even if you fall as an individual, the other men can come together, create a wall around you, get you back on your feet, put you back into position. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's what the image of an army of one is supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like when you see men come together with their gifts and get behind the body of Christ and, and work their part in it. And this includes you women. You all have your part too in the, in the body of Christ and you have your different gifts as well. And there's, there's a reason behind those gifts and why God has placed you all in the same church or placed you all in the same town, because there is a purpose for you guys to find each other. There's a purpose for you guys to build around each other and to grow with each other. And you should be striving for the one thing, which is the gospel message. You should be seeking out the opportunity to be able to learn how to share your gospel message to other people, to share your testimony, share your individual stories, and how God has impacted you and changed you. 
Because like in verse 16, or we'll start at 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love. We're supposed to do it in, in love. And we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Was the gifts. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, we got to understand, it's not we just need to love each other. It's not that we just need to love others. That's not what this is talking about. When you're growing up, when you're getting understanding of love is because you love God first. And you understand that that loving God means that you spend time in God's word. You spend time in prayer. And if anything, spend time in prayer. Study the doctrines. Understand the truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. It says rather speaking the truth than love. You cannot love others properly if you don't know who God is. And that doesn't mean we're going to know who God is altogether, but you got to chase after him. You got to know his truth. You got to understand the scriptures. You got to know what he stands for. Because just loving others does not work. Because if you don't love God, you don't love that person like Christ loves, loves them. You don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ like Christ loved the church. You don't love your wife like Christ loved the church. You don't love your husband like Christ loved the church. You don't love them that way because what you're, what it is is that you become yourself. You become an individual who doesn't want to follow any other rules because it's not what you believe in. Now, I recently heard a video where the guy says, if you're, if you can't sit there and say that you believe the Bible is a hundred percent true and taken care of by God, and you're, and you're able to pick whatever you want from it to fit into the Christian buffet that you want. And if you're interested in that video is from Alan Parr. Um, I think it's like, uh, you may not be a Christian if you believe this, it's pretty interesting. But even he was kind of mentioning, if you can actually think that picking whatever you want, you better start wondering, you better double check to see if you're really a Christian, because that's what the world does. They pick whatever they want for religion that they can mix into their creative religion that fits how they want it. Because if you can't say that I believe the Bible is hundred percent true, then I don't know if you believe that what Christ did is true because sin in there is written out. It's not a misconception that someone has misconcepted and misunderstood the, the scriptures. No, you are the misconception. You made the mistake of not understanding the scriptures and you need to know it. So as men, guys, we need to be in unity as men. We need to get around each other, encourage one another, build each other up, pray for one another. And we got to focus it all on the scriptures, understanding that even though we are individual, so we are an army of one, we have a bunch of people in our army, but we need to be in one with Christ. We need to be one with the Lord, one in faith, one in baptism, one God and Father and all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one body and there is one spirit. We need to understand, and that's why it's important to have humility, to be gentle, to be patient, bearing one another in love. We need to be willing to talk to each other as men. We need to stop holding in all of our feelings, hiding in the shadows, 
and and just showing up in church and giving our tithe and going home. That's that's not our purpose. Well, I'm, I'm the breadwinner. I work. I'm busy. So, a lot of men are busy. But does not mean that you have to face life alone. Well, I don't, I don't really care about all my friends. Well, you need to double check why you don't care about you don't want any friends. Is it something that happened to you when you are younger? Did you have issues growing up where you taught that men don't cry? Because that's a false statement right there. Jesus wept. His, his friend died. He cried. You know, where you taught that men don't show feelings, that's a lie too. You don't think Joseph grabbed Jesus and held him and said, Thank you, Lord, for my son. Any of you guys have had kids, you know that there's emotion in you. You see, the thing is, which part of quote-unquote manhood have you been believing that's not biblical, that's a false lie? It's been keeping you from loving your wife 100%. It's been keeping you to love your kids like you've never loved them before. It's been keeping you from doing something in your church. It's been keeping you from doing more than just working. It's been keeping you from being part of the body and using your gift to make a transformation in your church, a transformation in your town, a transformation in your own self. Yes, we are an army of one. But we are also individuals that have gifts that God wants to use in that army. And are you willing? Are you willing to step up and do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I ask that you use this as like a rally call to men to stand up and to look around them and to pay attention and to notice, am I a part of this body of Christ or am I just an individual, individualist? living on my own, doing my own thing, and not really doing anything for you or for the church or for the the body of Christ as a whole. I pray that you reach into the hearts of these men and you pull whatever out that's keeping them from doing this and show them and say, hey, you need to stop doing this because you're not serving me, you're not serving the church, you're not serving the body of Christ, and you're not helping other men who need it. I have given you a gift And this is what it is. And guys, ask him. Ask him what type of man you should be. Ask him what type of uh, warrior you should be. Ask him what type of gift that you have. And let him show you. Don't, Don't be afraid to ask. Lord, I ask that you move these men in this moment. That you allow them to humble themselves before you. And be willing to apologize for things that they have not been doing. To ask forgiveness for being so selfish or individualized to the point where it's just, they just thought being a man meant to be what the world keeps telling you what the man is supposed to be or what American man is supposed to be. Lord, I pray that you move these men to want to be more and to step up and be an army of one in unity with other men, unity within their church and teaching others about what you've taught them to give, to open up their gifts to be used and that they may Teach others about what Christ has done for them. I ask that you bless these men, and I thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, you have a great week, and I will see you next time.